Our reading tonight, Isaiah 26 and verse 3, English Standard Version. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts you. I have no idea how they determined this, but experts say that we talk to ourselves up to 30,000 times a day. Now, that's not the spoken word. That's just talking to ourselves. By the way, not that it's important, but I have at least one granddaughter who the spoken word, that would be basically doubled. You know what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about something always playing on the movie screen of our minds. We're always thinking, we're always talking, and even when we're asleep, the subconscious is active. It's kind of scary even to read about how how active our subconscious is even during our sleeping moments. The scripture says that while we're talking to ourselves, let's make sure that a part, in fact, a significant part of that thought life is meditating on the promises of God. And that will bring that peace that Isaiah talked about, that Brother Northern just read about. I think because of the influence of Eastern mysticism, so often when we talk about meditation, we think almost immediately of someone sitting, you know, on a, on a hemp pad somewhere in a lotus position humming a mantra. Well, that's not what the word meditate means in Scripture at all, of course. In reality, it just means to think about over and over. I've often said you can think about meditation like this in terms of uh, our digesting of the Word of God because learning is is the eating and meditating is the digesting. So those, I think, are appropriate, practical ways to think about the difference in those two activities. The truth is we just need to pay close attention to what we're meditating on. In a sense, meditating, someone has said, is the same thing is, is the same operative principle as worrying, but the problem with worrying is that we're meditating on the wrong thing. And God says we need, to, we need to make sure that we're not using our faith in reverse here. If you go through your day and you're worried about your finances, if you're constantly worried about your family, if you're constantly worried about your future, then you're allowing the wrong thoughts to play on that, on that movie screen of your mind. It's going to cause you to be anxious and fearful, it will cause you to be negative because guess what? You're thinking about that which is negative and it will inevitably make you discouraged. But again, the central problem is what we're choosing to meditate on. I want to suggest for your consideration tonight and hopefully for your acceptance a Bible fact. Although there's not a verse that says this, I think that the principle is there nonetheless that you and I and we alone control the doorway to our minds. I think 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Philippians 4, verse 8, and then obviously Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. All of those passages say that we can bring every thought into captivity for Christ and that we need to do that. In Philippians 4, 8, of course, even gives us a, a list of suggestions about what we can and should be thinking about, what we ought to be meditating on on a daily basis. And when, when we allow the negative thoughts to come knocking, you don't have to answer the door. 
You can, despite what some people think, you can control what you think about. You can say, no thanks, I'm going to choose to meditate on what God says to me through his word and what God says about me. Now, I don't have to tell you that that is antithetical to the thinking of the world. The world is filled with negative thinking. It's filled with doom and gloom. And there's a lot of that going on. And if you watch the news for very long, you can easily get depressed. You can, you can see the, the stock market and, and the economy and the national debt that continues into multi-trillions of dollars. And some people go through their entire day thinking about how bad it is and asking themselves, how in the world am I ever going to make it? What if I lose my job? What if my retirement funds go under? And, And if you dwell on those fearful thoughts, you are going to obviously be stressed out. I watch the news, but I've learned not to dwell on the negative reports because if I do, I can't sleep at night. But Paul, in the passage just referenced in Philippians 4 and verse 8, says, think on the things that are wholesome, on the things that are pure, on the things that are of good report. If there is any virtue, if it is at all praiseworthy, think on these things. And I remind you that that is a command, and with every biblical command, it implies control. God has not commanded us to do something that cannot be under our control. So if it's not a good report, then don't dwell on it, because that's going to poison your mind. You can't fill yourself with the negative thinking, and the worldly thinking, and then expect to be different in your actions and even in your speech. Instead of replaying the doom and gloom over and over again, spend time in God's word, and then in your thought life, remind yourself over and over again about what God says. I think that's one of the reasons why David in Psalm 119 verse 11 said, Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. I believe the laid up in my heart part there is talking about the memorization of scripture. I have laid it up in my heart so that at the pressure points of life, when the rubber hits the road in the heat of battle, I'm able to remind myself of what God's word has to say about that situation or about my relationship to that person. Yes, the stock market is up and down, but God says he will supply every one of your needs in his glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4 and verse 19. He said he'll open the windows of heaven and he will pour out blessings into your life that you simply cannot contain. You go through the day thinking about that, that you serve the God of the universe who has promised to take care of you. And folks, that is a monumental thought. I think the danger for some of us who've been members of the kingdom of Christ for many, many years is that we have tended to allow those promises of God to lose their thrill and their luster. We have forgotten what God has to say on these subjects, and we don't remind ourselves of all the good news. We need to get our minds going in the right direction. And I remind you again, as we did two weeks ago, that in in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount, in Matthew 6:33, Jesus told his disciples, Then and now, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these material things that you spend your time worrying about will be added to you. That is, they will be a part of your life if you make sure that you keep your priorities right. After all, the economy is not the source of our hope and security. God is our source. Our trust is not in the stock market. It is not in the strength of our economy. Our trust is not even in the government. Our trust is in the Lord. David said in one of his psalms, this is Psalm 20, verse 7, if you want to look at it, 
He said, some trust in chariots. I can't help but think about what David was thinking about when he wrote this verse in terms of the sphere of his own experiences and all the people that he had known, and especially as the warrior king and how that he had worked and and fought alongside of so many other people who were themselves soldiers in an army of some sort and also how many battles that he had fought against other people. But then a part of that experience, he writes this spiritual assessment, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. I think every one of us, whether we've ever been a soldier or not, ought to have that passage right in the forefront of our minds every day. We serve the God of the universe. We serve the God that spoke this universe into existence in a divine fiat. We serve a God who loves us, who is compassionate, who wants the very best for us. We serve a God who is only interested in what happens to us that is in his best interest and within the framework of his will. So let's not trust in in, in chariots or horses. In fact, in modern times, we might want to kind of retranslate that passage a little bit to make it more relevant. And we might say some trust in their money and some trust in their job and some trust in what the economists say, but our trust is in the God who created it all. So when you meditate on that, you don't have to live in total fear. You'll have total peace. You will have total rest as a result of what you have allowed to be the dominating thought of your mind. You'll come to know that God is in control and that God is the one who can give you the victory. But whether you live in peace or in fear, whether you live in doubt and uncertainty depends on what you have going on in your thought life. Now, I don't mean to impugn your intelligence by making that kind of declaration. I'm pretty sure that most of you knew that when you walked in here tonight. But a part of my responsibility is to remind you of what you already know. So whether we live in peace or fear is determined by what we allow to play in our minds on a predominant basis. You have two choices. You can either meditate on the problems or you can meditate on the promises. And you know which one will bring the blessings of God. Mark it down. What you allow to play in your mind will determine the kind of life you live. And if you can't see that in your own experience, then again, open this book. Read Old Testament and New Testament and you will find example after example of people, men and women, whose hearts were close to God and that was reflected in the way they lived. And others whose minds were on other things, had no real spiritual interest, did not factor in God into the equation of their lives at all. And their speech, their conduct on a daily basis reflected that lack of spiritual concern. What we think about is what we're going to do. The kind of life we live is determined first and foremost by our thought life. And that's why in Matthew 12 and so many other places, Jesus was constantly having to correct people and to adjust their thinking and to help them to understand that while the law, the Old Testament law that was still in vogue at that time during his ministry was important and that they did need to be concerned about ceremonial cleanness, cleanliness and, and also about what they ate and what they drank. He said that's not God's primary interest. He's not so much interested as what goes into the mouth as what comes out of the mouth. And then he said what comes out of the mouth first of all comes from the mind. A person is not going, even though sometimes we want to deny it, a person is not going to say something that they have not first thought about. Maybe you didn't think about it long enough. But you still had to think it. You had to process it in your mind before it was able to come off of your lips. And Jesus acknowledged that over and over in his ministry. 
and he's helped his disciples to realize that in the order to get your actions right and to get your speech right, you're going to have to get your thoughts right. 2,000 years later, we're still struggling with that, aren't we? We're still challenged by that thought. And I think that the challenge isn't just because we're weak people. I don't think that's it at all. I think everybody is here tonight because of our interest, our deep interest in spiritual things. And we want to go to heaven. I mean, we want to go to heaven more than anything in the world. But we do live in a negative, doom and gloom, saturated world. Our society, is its default setting is the negative. And we have to work and discipline ourselves and challenge ourselves every day to make sure we're thinking the right kinds of thoughts. Because again, as Solomon said, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. So mark it down. What you allow to play in your mind is going to determine the kind of life you live. I just want you to know that. That when you think better, you'll also live better. Think with me for a moment about what the Bible says about perfect peace. If we may go back to the text that we read a moment ago from from Isaiah 26 and verse 3. One version of that reads like this. If, and this is God speaking. So we really need to sit up and take notice. If you will keep your mind fixed on me, I will keep you in perfect peace. Notice there's, there's a way not only to have peace, Isaiah says, but to have perfect peace. It's by keeping your thoughts fixed on him. And again, we need to pay close attention to what is playing in our minds. You can't go through life or even you can't go through each day thinking fear thoughts and expect to live in any kind of victory. I think that's why Paul in his second letter to Timothy said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Some versions say timidity, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So if you're living a fear-dominated life, if you're allowing fear thoughts to constantly invade your mind and, and they have set up residence there, Paul says, I can assure you that that's not because you got that from God. That's not the kind of life he wants you to live. He wants his people to live lives of power and compassion and of sound minds. When you worry about whether you're going to lose your job, if the kids are ever going to straighten up, or whether or not you're going to overcome a particular illness, you're not going to have any real degree of peace. Well, listen to me now. Dwelling on the problem will only make it worse. It will not make it, it better. May I say that again? Dwelling on the problem won't make it any better. It will only make it worse. And if you can't change your circumstances, and, and many times the reality of life is that we're stuck in a situation, a job, whatever, and, and, and we, can't, we can't really do a whole lot about that. Sometimes we can, but sometimes we can't. Then we're going to have to change what we're dwelling on. We're going to have to change our, our mentality about that situation. Instead of fear-dominated thoughts, we go through our day thinking God has me in the palm of his hand. We go through life thinking all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Most problems don't come to stay. Most problems come to pass. Those are the kinds of thoughts that we need to allow to dominate our minds. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Those are the kinds of thoughts that God has put in his word that we ought to allow to dominate us every day. You see, that's the kind of thinking Isaiah says that will bring peace. If we'll fix our minds on him, he will give us perfect peace. And when you dwell on those kinds of thoughts, you'll have greater peace and greater joy and greater strength for each day of living. The Apostle Paul understood that principle. 
And I'm so glad, and I am so glad that he was more than happy to, re- to write about it. By inspiration, Paul wrote so much about making sure that our thinking is right. And I've mentioned so many times from this pulpit, I'm almost ashamed to mention it again, but remember that Paul was in prison when he wrote Philippians 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Paul was making sure that his thinking was right even when he was looking through prison bars. He realized that happiness, and I mean true joy, starts in our thinking. Paul had been through a lot of disappointment. Paul had been through a lot of hardship. If you don't believe that, reread 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul just kind of gives us a cataloging of things that he experienced, shipwrecks and beatings and, and imprisonments and so on. And the Bible tells us in graphic terms how many times he'd been shipwrecked, how many times he'd put it, been put into jail unjustly and, and horribly mistreated. And yet you never find Paul focused on those problems. When he wrote these letters, he never suggested to any fellow Christians what you ought to be doing is singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. No, what he said is you need to be rejoicing in the Lord and counting your blessings and dwelling on his promises every day of your life. He didn't dwell on his mistreatment. He wasn't always calling Alexander Shinaro wanting to sue somebody. He wasn't meditating on how bad his life was and always replaying all of those disappointments in his mind over and over again. Some people have those kinds of things on a loop, and they just play them over and over. All my disappointments, all my failures, when someone said the wrong thing to me. Worse yet, when I said the wrong thing to someone else. And we can allow those things to loop through our minds if we permit ourselves. Instead, here is in part at least what Paul said. Thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I don't know about you, but that means more to me coming from Paul because I know his background and I know his experiences. Paul had not gone through just Sunshine University. He had gone through the school of hard knocks. And he knew what it was like to to spend his life being maltreated by others For nothing more than his proclamation of the good news of the gospel. And yet still his mind was filled with thoughts of hope and thoughts of faith and thoughts of eternal victory. Even when he wrote that great first chapter up to the Philippians and said, I'm caught betwixt the straight. You know the passage. Whether to part and be with Christ or to remain here and be of service to my brethren. Even Paul, when 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 he thought about the end of his own life, was thinking only in terms of what would be best for, for my brothers and for the will of God in this world. He was saying, it may look bad right now, but I've learned the secret of how to believe myself happy. Are you listening to me, church? Paul knew the secret, and he let us in on the secret by writing these inspired words down on a page. But we look around and we see people, we see people who've thought themselves depressed. And they focused on their problems for so long that they've thought themselves completely discouraged. And they've watched so many news reports about mass shootings that they have thought themselves afraid. And God says, I don't want my people going through life experiencing that. Allowing that to to dominate their minds and torment them every day of their lives. Scripture tells us, arise from the depression that has kept you down and rise to a new life. So the first place that we need to do that arising is changing the way we think. You have to put on a new attitude characterized by better thoughts. And I don't just mean thoughts that you've come up with. I'm talking about thoughts that God has said these ought to be at the very forefront of your mind every day. 
Don't go through the day thinking about your problem and dwelling on who has hurt you. That's always going to keep you discouraged, and it will always cause you to be despondent. Instead, you need to go through each day thinking these kinds of thoughts. My best days are still in front of me. God has something wonderful planned for me if I'll just stay faithful and if I'll stay within his will. What Satan meant for my harm, God can turn around and use for my good. Many of you are very familiar with that statement that Joseph made in the Old Testament. My greatest victories are still in the future. Those are the kinds of victory thoughts that we need to be thinking every day. So when you get up in the morning, don't start in thinking about the day's challenges and all the people down at work that are hard to get along with. If you do, that's going to influence the tenor of your entire day. And I don't have to tell many of you that because you've had that experience. Instead, think, let me just pull this one out of the air. How about thinking this? And I'm being facetious, by the way, about materializing. Think this. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. How's that for a way to start your day? Make the choice to rejoice at the beginning of each and every day. And I mean before you get out of bed. This is the day that the Lord has made. I am going to rejoice and be glad in this day and see how it changes the fabric of your entire day. Here's the key. Don't ever start the day in neutral. You can't wait to see what kind of day it's going to be before you decide on a mood. You have to make the conscious decision as to what kind of day it's going to be. And when you first get out of bed in the morning, before you check the news, before you check the weather, are you listening to me? Before you check your phone, before you check to see how you feel, before you do that organ recital to see what's hurting and what isn't, you need to get your mind in gear and get it pointed in the right direction. Because let me tell you, if you don't set your mind, then the enemy is going to set it for you. I mean, Satan is working full time and he does his job well and he will get you thinking the wrong kinds of thoughts if you do not discipline yourself and make yourself think the right kinds of thoughts. And God has given us plenty of right things to be thinking about. The, the enemy will be there to remind you of how bad you have it, of how others are seemingly treated with more fairness in life, how many mistakes you've made, all the people that, who do not have your best interest in mind. He will be right there at your elbow, figuratively speaking, but in a very real sense, spiritually speaking, reminding you of all of those negative things. Very often, though, the way we start the day will determine the kind of day that we're going to have. So if you start it negative, discouraged and complaining, then you have set the tone for a lousy day. Just face it. That's reality therapy. So you have to get your mind going in the right direction. Here's a biblical principle that we talked about some months ago, but I, want, I need to repeat at least a part of it because it's so germane to this discussion. You become what you believe. That is very much a biblical principle. In fact, in some versions, those words are actually found in the New Testament. You remember Jesus told those two blind men that he had healed, according to your faith, be it done unto you. That's the New King James Version rendering of that passage. Another version of that reads, he said to those two men, you will become what you believe. You see, if you believe that you'll never meet the right person and get married, then you're probably right about that. And if you believe that you'll never get out of debt, then you likely won't. And if you believe that you'll get laid off, then don't be surprised if that's exactly what happens. That's because you're going to become what you believe is a valid biblical principle. 
We need to believe what God has said about us and not what people have said about us. We also talked about that a few weeks ago when we talked about how how we need to pull off the labels and not wear the labels that other people will assign to us. We need to believe what God has said about us. That great Psalm 1. Folks, if you haven't spent some time in Psalm 1, consider this a challenge. Do it before you go to bed tonight. At least read Psalm 1. That is such a powerful psalm. God's word, in part, part, it begins by saying, if you'll just meditate on God's word day and night, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Your leaf will not wither, but you will bear fruit in season without fail. Notice it doesn't say that you will bear fruit in some seasons. It says you will bear fruit in every season of your life. That means even when the economy goes down the tubes, you'll you'll be bearing fruit. It means that when others are going under, you'll be going over. While others are living in total fear, you'll be living in total peace. When others are complaining about how bad things are in this world, you'll be singing a song of praise. And when others are merely surviving, you'll be thriving because God's blessings are raining down on you day by day. Does that mean that you'll never have problems? Oh, no. You've read scripture. And you know what the passages say, like John 16, 33, Jesus told his disciples in this world, you'll have tribulation. That's just another word for trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But in order to become what you believe, that is what you think about, then you've got to take careful inventory of what you allow to play in your mind every day. Don't go around thinking negative, pessimistic thoughts. I guarantee you there's enough people out in the world to do enough of that for you. You don't have to do that. God has called you to a higher way of thinking and living. You need to live faith-filled thoughts. You think victory thoughts. You thank God for his blessings and for his tender mercies every day of your life. And what, what you allow to be the dominating thoughts of your mind can also work in the wrong direction. And that's why we need to say a word of caution here about making sure that our thoughts are godly and positive and not ungodly and negative. If you think like the world, Paul said, Romans 12 and verse 2, then your lack of faith is going, to, is going to draw in the negative. Don't be conformed to this world, is what he said to the Romans, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I remind you occasionally of Job 3.25 where Job said, That which I greatly feared has come upon me. I'm just saying be careful about what you dwell on. We, we, we don't need to make our negative thoughts a self-fulfilled prophecy. Here's one final reminder. People, and I'm more than happy to be able to share this with you tonight or to remind you of this principle that you are already aware of. People do not have the final say. God does. And if I listen to the news long enough and all the political pontification that's going on, and if I listen to what's happening in the world, and I spend my time dwelling on all the mass shootings that are now more frequently than a weekly happening in our country and around this world, if I focus on all the things that Satan is doing in this sphere of existence, I'm going to want to go fall on something sharp. And I'll guarantee you this, and I mean this absolutely seriously, I'll lose my faith. I'll wonder constantly how God can allow these things to happen. We hear those questions voiced on almost a daily basis by people who who don't have spiritual concerns or priorities. 
But if I focus in this world of sin and I realize that we're living in a fallen world, and I realize that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, just like Paul called him in Ephesians chapter 2, and that he does have some sphere of influence and power, but God has him on a leash. And if you've read the book of Job, you know that within the, within the radius of that leash, he can do a lot of damage. But outside the radius of that leash, he has absolutely no power. He has only the power and the influence that God has granted to him in this fallen world. So what I'm saying is that you and I cast the deciding vote. We get to decide every day which of those things are we going to focus on. Are we going to focus on Satan's power or God's promises? People do not have the final say. God does. And with that change of mindset, I'm not saying to deny the negative reports that are true and don't act as if they, they, they don't even exist. I'm not suggesting some kind of Pollyanna approach to life where we just go, well, yeah, I've read all the mass shootings. I don't believe any of that. No, th that's happening. This world is in a sad shape. There's no doubt about it. I am simply saying, don't dwell on them. Do not allow that to be the dominating thoughts of your mind. Don't let them to consume you to where that's all you think about and all you talk about. You, you have to learn to put things, even negative things, in a proper perspective. One time in the scriptures, Jesus was on his way to pray for a person who was very sick, and the Bible says he just kept getting delayed. Every time you know, he would turn to go some, in, in the right direction again, someone would interrupt him with some other need that was, was pressing and urgent. And finally, people from the sick person's house came out and said to Jesus, tell Jesus that he doesn't need to come any longer. It's too late. The person has already died. Jesus was standing very close by, apparently, because Scripture says he overheard that statement. The Scripture says that Jesus, and I'm quoting now, overhearing but ignoring, heard that negative report but did not let it take root. Now, the part that came from Scripture is heard the negative report. He heard it, but he ignored it. That tells me something. Jesus didn't get discouraged and say, I guess I made this trip for nothing. He didn't turn around and go home in aggravation because of his wasted time. He never once denied the, the report that it was true or to pretend that the person had in fact not died. Jesus knew that people do not have the final say. God has the final say. And Jesus lived in that constant awareness. And sometimes in order to stay in faith, you just have to ignore a negative report. You have to ignore what somebody said about you. Is it true or false that they said that about you? And what they said about you, is that true? It doesn't matter. You can't dwell on it either way. You have to ignore what your own thoughts sometimes are in a self-destructive way are telling you. You may hear it, but you can do like Jesus did and just choose not to dwell on it. Refuse to allow it to be the dominating thought of your mind. Several years ago, there was a football game on TV. Imagine that. It was a very important playoff game. And there was only a few seconds left on the clock. And the visiting team was down by two points. Classic scenario. You know, there's either going to be a miracle finish or we're going to go home disappointed. And they were setting up to attempt a field goal to win the game. And the kicker was on the field. He was lining up his uh, approach to the ball as he was going to attempt that field goal, getting ready for the biggest kick of his life, at least up to that point. 
The opposing fans were yelling at him so loud. I mean screaming. You can imagine the cacophony of noise that came out of that stadium. They were jeering. They were trying to distract him. They were trying to do a number in his head to get him distracted so that he would miss the field goal. And just as he was about to kick, those of you who know anything about football and strategy know what happened. The opposing bench called a timeout just to ice the guy. And to allow the home crowd another couple of three minutes to try to get in the guy's head as they continued to yell and scream at him and uh, just go crazy, basically. And so going while he was doing that, during that timeout, on the stadium big screen, the Jumbotron, they started playing video clips of every field goal that guy had ever missed in his professional career. And, and, and going back for quite some time, they replayed all of his failures, and every time he missed... The whole crowd just went crazy. With 80,000 people screaming at him, the ball was finally snapped. He stepped up and kicked the ball through the uprights and won the game. Well, afterward, a reporter in the locker room asked him how he could handle that pressure. With so many thousands, tens of thousands of people that were screaming against him. And he said, I didn't hear anybody screaming. I just kept telling myself, you can do it and you have what it takes. You see, he's, he's controlling what he's thinking about. And the reporter said, well, what about during the timeout on the big screen when they were playing all of your failures? And he said with a smile, I did see that, but I didn't pay any attention. I just ignored it. Now that sounds simple, doesn't it? And let me share with you why that sounds simple. It's because it is. I heard it, but I chose to ignore it. In life, there will be times when it feels as though every voice in the world is, is yelling at you and telling you you can't do it, it's not going to work out, and you'll never be able to overcome this problem. It may be the voices of the people around you, the critics and the naysayers, or it may be the voices in your own mind, self-defeating thoughts that are trying to discourage you. Don't be surprised if, if the enemy even starts replaying your failures. And replaying the times when you've missed it, when you failed to do the right thing, replaying all of your disappointments. After all, the Greek word hamartia is the word for sin, which literally means to miss the mark. And, and if, you, if you allow yourself, you can, you can allow that to replay in your mind all the times that you missed the mark. You didn't do what God's, God's will was in that given situation. And you just have to do what that young kicker did. You have to choose to ignore it. And choose to believe a better report. If you'll get in agreement with God on the matter and not let those distractions pull you off course, God will get you to where he wants you to be. That's his guarantee. Let me tell you, the first place we lose the victory is in our thinking. But the good news is, the first place we win the victory is in our thinking. You may feel as if there's 80,000 voices that are screaming against you right now and telling you it's never going to work out and you don't have what it takes to be a success and, and you'll never, you might as well just settle in right where you are because it's not going to get any better. So you need to tell them to talk to the hand. If they want to rent a room in your mind, you need to show them the no vacancy sign. You know what I'm talking about. And if you'll keep your thoughts fixed on what God has said, you'll overcome the obstacles and God will make sure your dreams come true. At least that's what it says in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. If you want the Bible for it, if you will meditate on God's word day and night, you will prosper and have good success. I, I love that. Isn't that a passage that's worth memorizing and repeating to yourself on a daily basis? 
The whole key to the victory is what's going on in your thought life. So what are you dwelling on? What are you allowing to be the dominating thought of your mind each day? Make a decision right now if you will accept the challenge that you're going to keep your mind fixed on what God says, not what on the world says, and, and not what on the critics say. Always remember that you're going to become what you believe, and I mean every single time. And so when you get up every morning, first thing, set your mind in the right direction. Don't dwell on the problems. Train yourself, discipline yourself to dwell on the promises. Learn to, through the power of God, to think yourself full of joy, to think yourself full of peace, and to think yourself full of victory. And always remember that the victory starts in the way you think. I want to take us back as we end this study tonight to the passage that I referenced earlier in this lesson. Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 2 that Christianity begins and ends and is forevermore sustained between the ears. If we will refuse to be conformed to the world, if we will then agree with God that we're going to allow our thinking, our minds to be transformed by his power through the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I can be the victors and the conquerors in this world every time. And someday, when our life here on this earth is through, we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And if that's what you decide that you want to do this very night, we're here to encourage you to make this the time, not tomorrow, not next week, right now. Turn your back on the world and its thinking. Turn your back on all the sins and mistakes that you've done. Determine that when Jesus' blood covers those sins, you're not going to think about them, dwell on them, or even remember them anymore. You're going to live in victory from this day forward as a child of God. Allow that courage and that faith to cause you to say, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then be baptized where his blood will wash away your sins. And do it right now while we stand and while we sing.